welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. Hey everybody, welcome back to another Knock On Podcast, and uh, this is going to be a really cool one. I've got a special guest with me here, one that's uh, definitely doesn't uh, need much of an introduction for any of you out there who are into archery and into guys that are truly inspirational and hardcore and badass. I've got Jeff Fabry with me today, so thanks Jeff for for coming hey, on, thanks man. thanks for having me on, John. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this week actually kicks off the new season of Knock on TV, and it, se- it seems like it happened in a flash, but it was literally a year ago when I was... Um, actually, a year ago, about this exact week is when it happened. It happened a few days before the ATA show, and I actually went to the ATA show and kind of kept that... Um, under wraps i didn't really want to let the cat out of the bag until i knew how bad it was and then had my surgery and obviously uh you've been an inspiration to all the para archers out there and obviously you're going to be the first guy that i call to try to help me uh learn your way of shooting really so uh, I guess for those of you out there who don't know Jeff, I'll let I'll let you kind of give a quick little background, and then also you do so much work uh, for the archery community. Jeff, feel free to give some plugs as well about where people can go and check you out and see some of the stuff that you're doing with a lot of the kids and other pair archers that you're coaching too. Don't feel shy to plug yourself about some of the places people can check you out and what you're doing. I know we got a kind of in the midst of an Olympic year here and you're doing so much work in the archery community with coaching people and all that stuff too. Uh, I think everybody out there would definitely benefit from checking out what you're up to. So I'll let you have at it for a minute. Basically, you know, I, when I was a kid, I loved the bow hunt. So I spent a few years running around up in Sierra's chasing bucks around. And at 15, I got hurt in a motorcycle accident, which the end result was I lost my left arm, my, or my right arm, my right leg. Um, you know, at that time, I really didn't even think about getting back into archery. Um, it wasn't until years later, uh, my buddies were running around up in the hills. I'm stuck in town. I'm like, you know what? I've got to get back out there because rifle season is just not enough season to be chasing deer around. So I'd heard about a guy shooting with his teeth, and I was like, well, if it can be done, why can't I do it? So I cut up an old pair of blue jeans, wrapped that on the string, and shot my first arrow, and I think that was 18, 19 years ago, and since that first arrow I shot, I, you know, I haven't looked back. It's been archery's been part of me every day, and you know, I've been fortunate with with the sport. Um, you know, basically got into it, wanted to learn a little bit more about tuning and how to work on equipment for myself, and started working at local pro shops. Then that opened the door to going to some, uh, you know, local shoots. And next thing I know, I'm going to Las Vegas in it was 1999 for the, my first big tournament. And I had no idea what that tournament was about or, you know, 
the electricity that goes when, when that line's called hot. And I still remember getting up there, and they they blow that whistle, and it's my first arrow for score, and I hear doo-doo, 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 just arrows all up and down the line striking the target. And I'm like, what the heck did I get myself into? <laughs> and, I mean, I got wound up, and, you know, I got through that tournament. It was an ugly shoot, but I was like, you know what? That was fun. I know I can do better at it. So I, I set a goal for myself. I said, I'm going to go back the next year, and I'm going to win that tournament. And that's what I did. I shoot in the Bowhunter Freestyle Limited class. Um, was behind going in the last day and snuck in a win on that. And that kind of gave me the confidence to say, hey, you know what? I can do this. I have a place in archery. And, you know, it's just been downhill since then. Well, so, you know, getting. <laughs> I can tell you if anyone's ever shot the Redding shoot to see you out there uh, bebopping around on, on that course is amazing in itself you know for sure oh heck yeah i mean you know i've shot that that shoot quite a few years just out of my wheelchair before i had a prosthetic and you know you get back in that canyon you got them downhill shots and the the shooting part was cool but riding that chair out to the bottom that was a whole (laughs) lot more fun than shooting the bow i remember my first year out there i i was kind of thinking to myself man this is a long day i'm kind of tired i'm kind of sore and then i freaking see you come off that course and i'm just like yeah okay never mind you got to shut the hell up (laughs) (laughs) and just i mean you were out there just riding wheelies having a good old time i'm like okay yeah we need to quit the wine in here and 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 start shooting but uh there's one target on there um it's it was above the elk herd, but it was kind of a, a long slope downhill shot, and, and it had been raining pretty hard that day, and we our group finished, so I take off, get get down to the target. I'm clipping along pretty good, and the front wheels in that wheelchair hit a, a squirrel hole or a gopher hole or something, and I shot straight out of that chair on my butt and bounced across the ground, and I look back, and everybody's like, oh, Jeff, are you all right? And I just started rolling. I'm like, I'm fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, that I think that course, if you get a little water on there, it's probably one of the best slip and slides around. Oh, uh, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know last year um, I was kind of in the same position. I, I watched, I've watched you do it and seen you shoot shoot so many things that way um that it was i didn't really have any doubt that i could shoot that way now i did have doubt about how far my effective range would be shooting with my mouth and um and also just whether or not i i really trusted myself ethics wise with an animal um and Sharon was actually, I forget who was here. We had someone here from the archery industry at the house last week. And Sharon was talking to him about it. And they were kind of saying, you know, how that kind of kind of seemed cool that I shot with my mouth. And she's like, yeah, he, he kind of talked about it for a couple weeks saying, I think I'm going to try to do this. And she said, and then a bow came and I, he kind of said, I might try it. When I when I called you about shooting with my mouth, you know, it was something I, I kind of knew how you did it, but I really didn't know the specifics of it. And obviously, there's a lot of different methods to to how you 
tie the bite tab on or what type of material you use. Um, maybe I'll let you talk about that. What What's some of the different options out there that, okay, guys, well, are, that guys are using? Yeah, so, I mean, basically my setup is I take about a 3-8-inch nylon dog leash, I fold it around the string above the arrow, and fill it directly to the string. Um, what a guy looks at at that point is that cab's actually, you know, it's not laying flat, it's laying um, sideways. So when you turn it to kick it flat, so you can get a bite on it, there's actually quite a bit of torque to get set on the string like that. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, we found that as long as the mouth cabs, you know, have pretty good uh, uh, rigidity, you know, as long as it's not getting too worn out, you'll get basically the same launch out of the bow every time with the arrow. So it makes it fairly easy to, to tune out. Um, I've tried other methods. You know, there's guys that use a D-loop and tie a mouth tab to it, you know, either a, a piece of climbing rope or a leash, and that's extremely accurate. The downfall for myself is it seems like I always uh, have a D-loop cut loose on me. And that's the last thing I want to do is be in a tournament situation and, you know, launch an arrow and get a defeat. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, it's, it's all pretty much the same. And, you know, just got to look at what your draw length is. Okay, how long do I need my, can I put that D-loop in there and, and still have the, the arrow speed? So as soon as you put that mouth tab on there, you're going to lose probably 20 foot a second off the bow just because of the weight of the tab. And you wouldn't think a little piece of material like that would would affect your uh, velocity that way, but it does. Yeah, yeah. Um, I can tell you that there's a ton of different ways to do it, and especially with you having to get the longer distances, that's why you have that bite tab above the arrow, correct? Exactly. Yep. So if you're, if you're, I mean, the best flight I've seen is when you put your cap below it, and yeah, you know, I've seen great arrow flight that way, but then you're stuck. You might get 30 yards out of it. Um, yeah. I run that mouth tab above the arrow, then I can shoot, get my 100-yard mark so I can hit Bigfoot out at Reading. Yep. Yeah, I well, and I just, I ended up hooking mine right through my D-loop, um, which people see on the episode, mainly because I was going to be happy with about 40 to 50 yards, um, you know, I was mainly right. shooting for a hunting situation, so I wasn't ever, you know, I wasn't going to be comfortable making any shots really past 30 yards was kind of my goal. Um, if I worked up high enough in poundage, um, what, how much, how many arrows are you practicing a day doing it exactly? How many arrows, oh, wait, how many arrows would I want to practice or how many do I actually get to practice? <laughs> well, both. Um, yeah, I mean, if, you know, a goal is shoot a minimum of 100 arrows a day. Does that happen every day? Heck no. You know, there's life. And, you know, leading up before a competition, yeah, then I make sure I get the time in to, to shoot. Um, like Vegas is coming up in a month, so, I'm, you know, I'm going to try to knock in three games a day. Yep. And that way, get the body toned down, relax. That way you roll in, you know, you're good to go. Oh, yeah. But, you know, if you just shot a game a day or, you know, a game every other day, you're just you're not going to be at the level you need to get in there and, and you know, have a fun shoot. You're going to be miserable. Yeah, that's 
it's kind of the question of the year for me. You know, I posted after after I kind of really got the clearance to start shooting again. It was really diff- it was really difficult for me too. I got through the hunting season, but to be honest with you, I had so much pain shooting that I couldn't really shoot more than maybe ten or twelve arrows, and that would set me back several days if I shot that many. But I f- I finally got things worked out um, with a new process and a new actually a new uh, trainer here that I found. Her name's Lindsay. And she did like an A-stem process and has been doing it about three times a week on me. And it's started to pull a lot of my scarring apart, which that's that's what causes the pain for me was the scarring. You know, those areas where I had big, like just hard, rock hard muscle tissue areas and mainly where incisions were. And, you know, I think where that shoulder came out. Um, but once I've got through that, I started, she got to the point where I started to get relief from my pain so I could shoot more. And probably about, I don't know, three weeks ago now, I went and started shooting and I was kind of expecting to only shoot about 12 arrows. Well, then I just kept shooting and kept shooting and I shot like a, you know, like a 298, but I shot about 30 or 40 arrows. And I'm like, man, that that was pretty good. And then the next day, I did the same thing. I didn't have pain. And then it was kind of like, you know, any other year when you're first starting to shoot spots, you know, you kind of throw a few out and then all of a sudden, next thing you know, you just kind of find your rhythm. And I actually shot a, a perfectly clean round, which I was really happy about, but I didn't, I didn't like film it or anything. So then the next day I went in and thought, well, I'm going to film trying to shoot another one. And and that that one I shot a 300 but I dropped two supers so but I was just really relieved to know that I could at least do that again I had my doubts to be honest with you because right. it's my you know it's my aiming arm so uh when when you're at that level of having to shoot 300s or clean rounds you just don't you just don't you can't have hiccups in your form you know or or like a pain flinch or anything like that. Just that's all it takes to kind of kick one out. And you know, people saw me shoot that one round, and they're like, "Well, you're gonna compete at Vegas?" And you know, the the thing is, there's guys, the guys that are serious about winning Vegas are shooting four or five of those a day. You know, you can't, exactly. you can't. You know, I haven't since I did that video. I literally have not had the time with the holidays or anything to shoot in probably ten or twelve days. So there's no way that you can go to a tournament like that with that lack of preparedness. You know, it just not at that level. You know, I think you could go and do that if you're shooting in flights, right. but not not with the big boys. Yeah, exactly. I mean, look at how how the game has come along. Look how many guys are going to be in the shoot off every year now. I mean, it's it's either you bring your A game or you just might as well just sit back and watch from the stands. Yeah, yeah. And you know what's funny is just today, um, you know, the thing with Facebook, the good and the bad, I guess. There's so many people in your feed that you know that you just you don't even 
really have a personal relationship with a lot of them. You're just trying to scroll through your feed to see people that you do know, or at least that's how I'm trying to do it. And the amount of like younger archers from really around the globe that are still youth archers that are like shooting 30x 300 rounds at their home shops and like posting them it's i mean it's like you're gonna see one a week if you're really surfing through facebook whereas you know back when i was in the pro ranks and and really competing hard they're just wasn't like handfuls and handfuls of guys that shot clean Vegas rounds, even in practice, you know, certainly not at archery shop leagues. So the whole game itself has really elevated and I'm pretty, I'm pretty proud of that because so much of what I do is trying to give back by sharing everything I can. And, you know, if one of those rounds somewhere came from something someone learned from me, then I'm, I'm certainly happy about it and i know you take a lot of pride in the people that that you really try to work with and coach as well okay i've only heard maybe two seconds the last 15 seconds (laughs) well this sucks (laughs) yeah yeah well you'll have to take my word for it it was good (laughs) (laughs) oh i'm sure it was it came from mr dudley (laughs) come on um well it (laughs) Well, let's jump into some questions. People have kind of heard us okay. probably. We've kind of talked about um, ourselves and, and our our way of shooting for long enough. Um, I'm going to jump into some. I'll let you answer it, and then I'll, I'll kind of chime in too. So I've got a question here, and this guy's pretty much just saying, um, I've got questions on peeps and scopes. He said, Peeps with a clarifier without four power, six power. He's kind of just have his question marks. And then he says, uh, normally he shoots with both eyes open without a lens and everything looks totally fine. But once he puts a lens in, he can't shoot with both eyes open anymore. Um, he literally sees two images. So he's kind of wanting some input there and what he needs to do to, to try to get that fixed. I mean... When we start talking about one eye, double eye, I'm always a big, you know, my big favor is both eyes open. As soon as you close that one eye, you're creating tension in the face, and, you know, we don't want any tension in the body. So, you know, a situation like that, I think the first thing I'd look at is, okay, can we put a, a blinder on in front of that uh, non-shooting eye, and does that clear things up, or maybe even go down to the scope? They got a, oh, I can't remember what it's called. But you put a, a piece on the scope that basically blocks out that left side, and see if that would would help us get clear the vision up. Um, yep. If that didn't work, then yeah, you know, then we have to start. Is the clarifier going to be the what he needs? Yeah, my personal opinion is I don't like clarifiers because as soon as you go somewhere and deal with any rain, they really suck, and it it oh, cha- without doubt <laughs> it changes everything. Um, I can tell you. I didn't write this guy's name down, unfortunately, but what I can tell you, whoever's question this was, um, I dealt with this exact same thing because for the longest time I did not shoot lenses. I just shot a regular up pin. Um, I shot a fairly small peep, you know, the same size as my scope housing. Back then it was like an original super scope. And 
once I tried shooting lenses, I always had that double image. And I know even back as far as Randy Ulmer, you know, dealt with that same thing of seeing a double image. So, you know, you started to, we started rigging those little blinders or credit cards or a black card on the edge of your hat so that you can keep your left eye open, but just shield that eye so that it's not able to see that double image. And honestly, I shot with a blinder for probably two years, um, probably the first two years of my professional career, um, certainly more than that in my amateur days, but um, I shot with a blinder, and then eventually my eye just accepted it, and I was able to like take it off, and I've been fine ever since shooting with with one eye. Now, occasionally I'll squint my left eye um mainly just if I really, if I have a lot of sun on my peep and I'm trying to really make sure that I have my centering correct, I might squint my left eye, but I normally always want to shoot with two eyes eyes open or encourage people to because the other thing it does is it doesn't, if both eyes are open, you gather a lot more light into your eyes anyway. Um, you know, your dilation will be way better with both eyes open as if, is if you close one eye. So try that, uh, whoever you were that sent me that question, I would say thumbs down on the peep clarifier. Cause I don't like, uh, a lens in the peep in case it rains. Um, and when it comes to magnification, shoot the magnification that still allows you to have somewhat of a clear picture if you're a 3D shooter, then obviously you have to have a, a very clear picture to try to see those rings. Um, for me, I really never shot more than a four power lens outside. Inside, I could shoot a six power lens, um, but I, I also had a lot more consistent lighting and was able to shoot a little bit smaller peep sight as well. Um, okay, we got another question here from Alan. And. Well, he's just asking, do I have any videos of uh, how I do a four-fletch? I'm going to get that done. I do not have a video on four-fletching my arrows, um, but I will. He's kind of He said he was thinking of running a four-fletch for his Vegas arrows. What do I think? Um, have you, I guess, have you done much with, with the four-fletch, Jeff? You know, I've played with it a little bit, um, you know, rolling some fallaway rest and see what a four fletch would do with some broadheads and things like that. And honestly, I, I've always, I just always go back to the three fletch. Um, if I want a little more control, like for indoors, I always, I'll throw a feather on and call it good. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I didn't see the benefit of doing it. I guess you say. Yeah. A three inch or a, th- a three fletch four inch feather is going to be pretty dang tough to beat. Um, and feathers do offer you so much more of an advantage when it comes to forgiveness if they do contact anything um, as compared to a vein. Now, for my hunting arrows, I've really liked having the shorter four-fletch configurations. Um, it's had a little bit more ballistic advantage for me when it comes to wind drift. Um, but for indoors, you know, when it comes to shooting a launcher blade and stuff, you start to kind of minimize your options if you're shooting a lizard tongue for clearance and a four fletch 
will really start to kind of put you right in that trouble area of having perfect clearance. Um, you'd really be forced to shoot a fall away if you wanted to do that. And you certainly could. If you're trying to shoot a super, super big shaft that's way too stiff and you need to control it really fast in order to, to get your consistency, then certainly try it. However, um, I'm with Jeff. I think a four-inch, three-fletch feather with a pretty good uh, offset or helical is pretty dang tough to beat for an indoor arrow for sure. Um, yeah, and I mean, I'm still old school on my hunting, hunting arrows. I still like a, a four-inch feather on a fixed uh, broadhead. And I just, I know it's going to perform for me every time I draw it back. Yep, yeah. I mean, I think the best round I ever shot, um, well, the best, I guess the best feeder round I ever shot was an indoor national round. I shot a 597. And that was, you know, inner tens. And it was a twenty three fifteen with a a four inch feather, three fletched with a really a really good right helical on that arrow and it worked really well. Um let's see. I've got several questions here. Um, from a guy, he's kind of saying that he really appreciates the podcast and the support. Um, <laughs> said all he wants for Christmas was a knock-on shirt. Thinks his wife got it for him. So thanks for the support there. <laughs> um, so he's asking a, a kind of several questions here about D loop strategies. Um, whether you know one tied under the arrow, um, a regular D loop tied on both sides or, you know, like a loopy system that goes underneath, kind of like the Clint, you know, like Clint Freeman's deal, um, and kind of benefits and drawbacks to each. So I think for those of you listening that are kind of new to this, you know, there's a lot of different ways you can put D loops or knock configurations on your strings. Um, and I think years ago, and you can chime in too, Jeff, but years ago, certain bows definitely favored certain types of configurations. I know like some of the original cam and a half systems really liked, you know, a knocking point that was underneath the arrow and then with the loop going directly over the top of the shaft. Um, and what that does, whether you're whether you have two tied knocks or one tied knock under or no tied knocks, it pretty much changes the relationship between where your jaw hooks on the back of that D loop and how that relates to the back of your arrow knock. Um, the lower your jaw of your D of your release is in relation to the back of your arrow, the more downward pressure it puts. So the way you can think about it is, you know, if you just put three fingers or two fingers under the boast or under the arrow and draw your bow back because you're pulling under the arrow it actually puts downward pressure on that arrow and it, it almost makes it easier to to shoot that way you know i think that's why like back when we were writing that nasp um curriculum 
you know, we really focused on on the kids shooting with three fingers under the arrow because it was just so much easier to keep the arrow on the rest as compared to having one finger over the top and two underneath where, you know, you start to change that pressure. Um, you know, and Jeff, back when you shot Hoyts, um, did you shoot with a tied knock underneath, just one tied knock underneath, or did you shoot both, two tied knocks, or... You know, I, I didn't hear a word you just said. I heard back when you shot Hoyce, I went silent. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was asking, when you when you shot your Hoyt systems, what type of uh, D-loop configuration did you use? Did you just have one tied knock underneath, or did you do something different? Yeah, yeah if, when I set it up for my students, it was always uh, one knock underneath the arrow in the D-loop. Okay, so okay. That always seemed to work the best for us. Yeah. Now, um, so, on, you know, on for myself, it, it was shooting that tab, you know, the mouth tab. So yeah, you know, I just put my mouth tab on and ran my knot flat, and it was it was good. You have you so you run your knot most of your knocking points. You just run right at ninety still, even with your bite tab and everything. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and if, you know, if you think about it, the reason why is that tab comes out, you're going to see some up and down travel. So it seemed like 90 is where everything worked out the best. Yeah, you have a little bit of high or a little bit of low fluctuation. Um, yeah. have on the, you know, on the cam. Now, when yeah, you're that's what, one reason I. Now, when you're working that's with students, one I switched to a, oh, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> when you're working with students. Um, what are you seeing most people use right now, or what are you kind of setting most people up with? Pretty much, you know, if they're just beginners, I'm setting them up like you talked about how you did the, the NAS program. It's always three fingers underneath. Um, when they get their basic form down as far as shoulder alignment, you know, strong bow arm, understand the, the anchor point, we'll, we'll swap them into a release. And, you know, it's most of those that we have that we put these guys in is uh, uh, the Quest, but it's a single cam. And we're just running a, a D-loop with a single knock underneath it. And it seems like everything's just working out fine for them. Yep. Well, the one thing I will tell you, regardless of what loop system or knock system you choose, I always do like to have at least one secured knocking point as a reference because... If that loop starts to move or slide, or if you have to replace it, you need to always have a place where you can knock an arrow, push it against a positive stop, and then tie your new D-loop into position. Um, whether it's exactly. a single knock set or a double knock set or whatever, you always need to at least have one home base so that you don't lose your tune if you do have to make a change. Which, yeah, I mean, that way you can cut that D-loop off if, if it get a little too much fray end or something, and you throw the new one on, you're pretty much going to you know, be money when you get back on the range. Yep. So the next question here is big arrows, big carbon arrows versus aluminum arrows, uh, and what type of point weights you think are relative. What's What's your thought process on this when it comes to... You know, I don't know if he's asking specifically. I, I tend to lean towards the the fat carbon arrow. Um, 
you know, Vegas, I'll load up a gold tip triple X and I played around with plenty weight for myself and found 150 grains of plenty. Um, I'm getting good arrow speed. The arrow's hitting pretty much the same hole every time. And that's what I'm looking for. It seemed like when I started loading too much front weight up, then that felt too much high, low impact that I couldn't tune out. Yep. Yeah. I think so much of people's tuning questions really boils down to, we can give you what we found, but you still need to try some of this stuff for yourself. Now it's been, I've never been a fat shaft type of person where I automatically go to the fat shaft and just like spend a lot of time there and try to make it work. Um, over the years, I've always found that the arrows that are closer to the correct spine size perform better for me. And if that if that spine size is at a smaller diameter in the shaft, it still seems to outscore um, a bigger shaft that is not necessarily spined right. For example, you know, if I went to like a big 27 wall, you know, I have to shoot over 250 grains of point weight in order to really get that arrow to start to to respond correctly to my bow. And I'm with you. I just start to find that if I'm making good shots, yes, they shoot just as good. And I probably do squeeze some X count. Um, however, when I make a marginal shot, like a shot that's maybe... 70 or 80 percent of perfect my margin of error seems to increase higher so my crappy shot has a a way bigger margin of error than um with the bigger diameter shafts for me personally than having a shaft that's spine matched perfectly for what I'm shooting. And maybe some of that has to do with how long my draw is and my arrows are on the string a little bit longer than a lot of people. Um, But I've just found that, you know, for me, even back when I shot 3D, uh, a 2312 always shot really good, even, even though people were all trying to shoot 25s and 26s. Um, the 2312 just always shot great for me and for indoor a 2315 and I just feel that overall my scores are better when I'm not shooting perfect so that relates to having a better spine and (laughs) a better tuned arrow than running just a fat head arrow yep yep Um, you know we could take our, our outdoor setups shoot a Vegas face and are probably going to shoot it just as good as we would with our sad arrows but you know just because that tuned arrow is going to go right behind the dot every time just about and it's going to be a whole lot more forgiving when you get that little glitch in the shot all right what um what are what is your tips for mentally staying in the game for the full 60 arrow round is my biggest tip is you know, when you get up on the line, you got to flip the switch. you got to have all your focus for that one shot every for 60 arrows. Um, if you lose your focus, flip the shot down, get out of the, the line, per se, 
you know, take your thoughts elsewhere. That way the body can relax, mind can relax. Then flip the switch again and get back to that shot. Uh, I think too many people stay on the line too long, and mentally we just can't do it. You know, you got to have give the mind a break from, so it can refocus. If not, you're not going to ever have the same focus for each shot. Yep. You know, that's the biggest thing I, I've seen. Uh, and even when you get off the line, you're waiting for the next line to shoot. You know, have have a routine to do. You know, some guys like to listen to music, some guys read, but you know, you got to have a routine. And the best way to start that routine is in your practice. You know, do it at your league. And how you shoot and, and practice in your league, take that game to the to the tournament. You know, if you can't throw something new in and expect it to work, so you got to build build your shot and how you shoot and how you compose yourself. And you know without practicing it in your league, you know, how you unperfect it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, super good advice. Well, I'm going to cut you loose here, Jeff. I know you got to get rolling. We've kind of had to stop and start here several times for this, but uh, I appreciate you coming on very much, and I cannot, cannot thank you enough for how much you helped me this past year. Yeah, can I throw one shout-out real quick? Heck, yeah. All right, so at the... Vegas shoot, I help a nonprofit called Break the Barriers. I help their, I'm their, basically their archery director. And we have a, just a, a cool archery program. We've got visually impaired kids that shoot. Um, you know, plus we have kids and adult programs, but we also have a huge veteran program. And any vet that comes into our facility, you know, we have the equipment for them and we give them lessons and everything at no cost to the vets. But what's cool is, to come out at the World Archery Festival, we're taking 24 vets to the tournament. Some have shot a tournament before, but most of them are green shooters. And, you know, we're taking them there. We're picking up, you know, the travel, entry fees. We're picking everything up so these guys can get their first tournament taste. And we'll have a boost in the manufacturer's section. So if anybody likes to, you know, learn a little bit more about us, come on in check us out. Yeah, and on, I was just looking quick. Um, so it's Break the Barriers R100. Is the, I saw a yeah. thing for you on there, too. Um, that's that's a, the Reinhardt 100 Break the Barriers one that's coming up as well. But, yeah, there's several different Facebook pages for that, and uh, that's an awesome – that's a really, really good organization that's super cool and – Again, hats off to you, man. You're inspirational for the whole archery community and uh, definitely do things every day that... that I appreciate that, John. If I could hear you more, it's probably been a whole lot easier. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks, Jeff. Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing. knockonarchery.com